And so today we're looking at John 15, and we're going to look at what does it mean to incorporate these kind of habits of connecting with Jesus into our lives, habits that create and reinforce and expand our affections for Jesus. And as we look at John 15, if you want to take notes, I've got three points. We're going to look at what is the fruit of these habits, what is the fight for these habits, and what is the formation that comes as a result of these habits. So we're looking at the fruit, the fight, and the formation. Let's read John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, like a branch, and it withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Spirit, would you open up our eyes and heart to understand it. Would you lead us closer to Jesus and the grace that we find in him? Above all, would you shape us to be more like disciples of Jesus as a result of listening to your word? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, what is the fruit of habits? One of the first things they teach you in the seminary, in seminary Greek class, when we're translating and interpreting the Bible for delivering sermons, they teach you this, that the writers, especially the New Testament, uh, they often help us learn what is the main idea by utilizing various literary devices. And one of the most frequent literary devices is that of repetition. If an author repeats the same word over and over and over and over again, Uh, you better be sure that is the main idea of the passage. In this section, the main idea is clearly this. If you abide in Jesus, you will produce fruit. He says that over and over again. If you remain in him, 
If you make it a habit to stay connected to Jesus, if you recharge yourself in him, he says, when you do that, you will produce fruit. That's what verse 5 clearly says. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that produces fruit. And in the illustration, Jesus is talking about a grapevine, but it's symbolic of other fruit. And that's our question. What is the fruit that will be produced in us if we make it a habit of abiding in Jesus? Well, in this passage, Jesus tells us three fruits that will be produced in us if we abide in him. First, we will live lives that are saturated in Scripture. If we make it a habit to abide in Jesus, we will live lives saturated in Scripture. He says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus is saying that one of the consequences of making it a habit, of connecting with Jesus, is that his words abide in us. As we spend more time with him, God's word seeps into our lives like a sponge that soaks up water. We absorb God's word to the degree that we spend time reading it, listening to it, speaking it to others, and meditating it on it ourselves. When I was watching the Super Bowl the other night, uh, a friend commented to me that sports tend to be a common denominator amongst men. Now, not every man, but for the most part, sports is a common denominator amongst men. You can talk to any random guy at any random place at any random time about sports. I was at the tire shop three days ago waiting for my flat tire to be fixed, and a random customer and the guy behind the desk had a 15-minute long conversation about the calves. They had never met each other before. But they were talking about the game last night and the players and statistics and their schedule. How did that happen? How did it just so flow naturally out of them? Because they spend time talking about and listening to sports. They watch all the games. They probably turn on Sports Center in the morning. They listen to sports radio in the car. They read ESPN articles at night. They absorb sports. So it flows naturally out of them. This is what happens when we make it a habit to connect with Jesus. We will soak up his words so that our lives become saturated with him. Here's a good question. Men, do you know more about your favorite sports team than you do about God? Do you know their schedules more than the books of the Bible? Do you know the star players more than the characters of Scripture? Women, what magazines and blogs and books and influencers are filling and saturating your soul? Do you know more about them than about God? If we make it a habit... To connect with Jesus, we will live lives saturated with Scripture. But second, Jesus says, not only that, but when we make it a habit to spend time with him, we will grow in passionate prayer. Again, in verse 7, Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, let's be careful 
Jesus isn't saying that he's some kind of genie in a bottle, that every wish of ours is his command. He's not saying, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. That's not how it works. It wouldn't be good for us. A few months ago, before Christmas, we invited our kids to write up a Christmas list of gifts that they wanted to receive as presents. And naturally, as I'm sure we all did when we were kids, they came back with a very long list of outlandish requests. And it would have been wrong of us to give them everything they asked for. I mean, it would have been financially irresponsible, yes, but it wouldn't have been good for their hearts. We're their parents. We love them. We know what's best for them. We're going to give them what they need, not everything that they want. And it's true with our Heavenly Father, the, the Father of all good gifts. He doesn't give us everything that we ask for, and it's for our good. He knows us best. So what does Jesus mean here when he says this? Like, as we make it a habit to spend time with Jesus, we will increase in our understanding and our knowledge of who God is and, and what his character is, what his desire is for us and for our lives. We're going to learn what his desire is for our neighbors around us. And as we increase our knowledge of those things, well, then our desires begin to align with his desires. Or maybe, to put it the other way, his desires begin to form our desires. And when that happens, when we begin to pray in accordance with his heart, friends, we could ask for everything, and he'll give it to us. Because we're asking things that he wants to give us. To be clear, he'll answer them in his own way and in his own timing, but he will always answer those prayers. I'm sure many of you have heard uh, of what's been happening now for going on two weeks down at Asbury University in Kentucky. If you don't know, two weeks ago, a regular mundane routine chapel service, students got together like they did every day for worship. And at the conclusion of that chapel service, something happened, and they decided not to stop. And they haven't stopped worshiping Jesus for two weeks straight, day and night. Hundreds and thousands of men and women, college students, are flocking to this chapel to experience some kind of movement of the Spirit. Lives are being changed. Brothers and sisters are coming into the faith. Confession and repentance is taking place. Prayer and lament. Why? Because hundreds, if not thousands of people have been praying for this. For decades. And the Lord was pleased to answer those prayers. In his way, and in his timing, Jesus says, abide in me and you will grow in passionate prayer. Finally, Jesus says, you will grow the fruit of joyful obedience. Verse 10 suggests that there is a correlation between abiding in Jesus and specifically abiding in his love 
and keeping his commandments. And in verse 11, he says that this is all for our joy, that it may be full. Joyful obedience is the fruit of abiding in Jesus and experiencing for ourselves the love of God, that same love that Jesus says he has experienced with his heavenly Father. I'm reading this this great book right now about creating habits for the household that, that communicate the story of Jesus in everyday ways. The author shares how he and his wife, they began to incorporate a bedtime routine with their kids that included these questions and answers as they put their kids to bed. He would ask, do you know that I love you? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God. Does he love you more than me? Yes. Now go to sleep and rest in that love. It's a beautiful ritual, and it communicates the love of a parent to a child. Every night, this habit seeps into their kids' understanding of who they are and their relationship with their parents, that they are their parents' beloved children no matter what. This repetition of love is necessary for obedience and for disobedience when that comes about also. For instance, later in the book, he talks about discipline. And he writes that after catching one of his sons in an act of disobedience, they got together and they talked and they engaged in confession and reconciliation, and it included the following conversation. What were you doing? I was pulling the bed sheets off of my bed. And what did I say about that? You told me not to do it. Were you disobeying me on purpose? Yes. Is that a bad thing to disobey? Yes. The boy began to cry a little bit. What do you need to say to me? I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. Can you look me in the eyes and say it? And he did, and he said it. Now, what am I going to say back to you? That you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And what do I say about how I feel about you when you do bad things? That you love me anyway? Yes, I love you no matter what. And what do we need to do now? We need a hug until we smile. Friends, obedience within the context of a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, it enables us to joyfully obey. We can trust that He loves us, that He wants what's best for us. That enables us to confess and repent when we don't obey because we are assured of His steadfast love, that it doesn't waver based on our good or bad behavior. But we don't know this, really. We don't deep down know this unless we make it a habit to spend time with Jesus and to know that love for ourselves. Jesus says, if you make it a habit of spending time with him, you will live a life that's saturated in Scripture. You will grow in your passionate prayer, and you will learn to joyfully obey him. That's the fruit 
of these habits. Now let's talk about the fight. The fight for these habits. We need to remember the context of John 15. This message about producing fruit, uh, it takes place when Jesus is in what's called the upper room. It's the place where he and his disciples went to have the Last Supper together, for Jesus to teach about washing one another's feet. He gave them a new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. And in this moment, he tells them, abide in me. We need to understand that it's in this same event that we learn from Jesus that one of his disciples, one of the guys who have been with him, is going to betray him. And it's in this moment that Jesus also says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Jesus is being really serious about this. This wasn't just a cute saying. He wants us to feel the weight and the gravity behind what he says. In other words, Jesus is saying, making it a habit to spend time with him is tough. It's a struggle. There's a fight. We have to wrestle for it. There's real friction working against us. And the consequence for not remaining with him, it's not simply that we don't produce fruit, although that's true. Consequences far worse. He says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered together. They're thrown into the fire and they're burned. This is similar language to when Jesus talks about hell. You know, that place of utter and outer darkness where there's endless torment and the gnashing of teeth. It is separation from God himself. Jesus is being serious about this. It's helpful for us to see this black and white contrast between these two realities, uh, producing fruit and not producing fruit. Jesus wants us to feel the gravity of the situation. Are you abiding in him or not? Paul put it slightly different while still drawing this contrast. We, we read it in our call to confession this morning from Romans 12, where Paul says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, we are either being conformed to the things of the world by not abiding in Jesus, or we're having our lives transformed because we are abiding in Jesus. Too often we think that as long as we're not embracing the things of this world, that we're fine, that we're not being conformed to it. But there is no neutral zone in this spectrum. Think of it like this. Try to, have you ever tried to wade through the waters of a powerful stream? You either are fighting your way against the current, slowly working your way upstream, or you're being pushed back. Flannery O'Connor 
uh, the great American author and essayist, she said that we need to push back against the age as hard as it is pushing against us. It is a fight. Too often, we just don't do anything. We don't push back. Many of us don't have these kinds of habits in our life. And we think we're okay. But we're, putting, we're being pushed against. So we need to move from doing nothing to doing something. It's as simple as that. One little thing. Go from doing nothing to doing something. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be great or excellent. Just do something. That is the fight. That is the fight to to have one of these habits so that we can produce the fruit that God wants to produce in us. As you walk through the booklet this week, section two, that's the question. You are going to be asked to consider adopting one spiritual habit, one thing this year, work on it all year long, so that you can be pushing back against this world. It is a fight. Struggle is real. Friends, but the consequences are too high for us to ignore. One author put it like this, that we, we aren't fighting against the world by running away. We don't fight by ignoring the battle. We don't, we don't fight by caving in. No, we fight by taking up practices and habits that aim our loves and desires back to God. In other words, we fight by creating habits that form us into the people that God has called us to be. Let's talk about that formation now. What is it that happens in us when we add these habits to our lives? My, uh, my wife can attest to this. Uh, I'm a pretty poor multitasker. It's incredibly difficult for me to do two things at once. It's almost impossible for me to uh, have a conversation with her while I'm sweeping up the kitchen floor. I, I either have to stop sweeping and finish the conversation or ask her to stop so I can finish sweeping. I can't do both of them at the same time. But you know what? I can tie my shoes and have a conversation. I can do that. I can tie my shoes and have a conversation at the same time. Do you want to know why? Because I've been tying my shoes multiple times a day for most of my 33 years alive. I have formed a habit of tying my shoes. It's ingrained in me. I can do it without thinking. Because it's so easy for me, you can imagine then how impatient I can get when my kids are struggling to put on their shoes. You know, when we're trying to get out the door, the kids are struggling on their shoes, it, it makes me get upset. But I need to realize they haven't formed that habit yet. They haven't learned it for themselves. But if we keep practicing again and again and again, sooner or later, it'll get impressed upon their minds. They'll learn the muscle memory. It'll become a habit for them too. There's science to back this up. Habits, the things that we repeat over and over again, the activities that we routinely do, 
they can actually change our physical bodies. Deep in our heads, in a deep part of our brain, there's an area called the basal ganglia. And as we form habits, the electrodes in our brain in that part, they rewire themselves to make new connections that allow us to do things automatically without even thinking about it. Our habits change who we are physically. You know, football players, especially like, uh, you know, the, the people, when a play starts, they have to react a certain way depending on what the play is called, what the defensive lineup is, if people are in motion. They know as soon as the play goes where they're supposed to go. And they have to know immediately like that. They form themselves to be able to do that by practicing and drilling over and over and over and over again so that it becomes an automatic response. But this doesn't just happen physically, this happens spiritually too. Our heart gets formed by our habits. Our our deepest longings and desires, our spiritual movements and affections, they are formed by our habits. And not just the like internal spiritual habits. No, even our physical habits reshape our heart. So when we kneel to pray, or when we lift up our hands in praise, or when we raise our hands and cry out or bow down low and lament, when we come forward to the table and take and eat bread and drink the cup, we are physically going through habits that change our heart. By waking up early in the morning before the sun has risen, when we open up our Bibles and put them on our lap, we are physically changing. We're physically doing something, and it is changing our heart. So if you find yourself today feeling like your affections for Jesus are not where you'd like them to be, If your heart isn't in the right place, the solution is not trying to force yourself to feel a certain way. It's not even to learn something new about Jesus. No, the way that we change our affections for him, the way that we form our heart towards him is through habits and routines by spending time with Jesus. I'd love to learn the piano. I have daydreams about having a piano in our house and gathering around with the family after dinner and leading us in songs. I love the idea of that. And I could go to the library and and get books on how pianos work. I could learn music theory, and I could tell you what the notes are in scales or what different keys are. But until... I sat down until I sit down and practice and practice and practice until I get my fingers used to pressing the keys and knowing how it feels and learning the muscles. I'm never going to become a piano player. It is our habits that change who we are. It is our habits that form our hearts. We don't become a piano player until we sit down and actually do it. Friends, if you want your heart to be drawn to the Lord, make it a habit to spend time with him. 
Do you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Do you want to cultivate affections for him? Do you want to see him more beautifully every day? Do you want to experience his embrace? Do you want to become more and more like him? Do you want to love your neighbor the way that Jesus has loved you? We become those things by the habits that shape us. Friends, here is the good news we find in this passage. Verse 4 says, If we abide in him, he will abide in us. That's the good news. As we make it a habit of spending time with Jesus, Jesus is committing himself to being with us. He commits to working on us. He's committed to conforming us to himself. He commits to forming us in his likeness. So through his spirit, which he has poured out on us lavishly, he lives within us. He speaks his word to our hearts. He holds us close. He awakens our desires for him. He reminds us of his word. He teaches us how to pray. He encourages us and sustains us in obedience. Friends, he is the one in us producing the fruit. This week, you are going to be asked, what is one step you can take in your relationship with Jesus this year? Jesus says, if you make it a habit of spending time with me, I have promised to be with you. I have promised to make you more like me. I have promised to produce in you the fruit of righteousness. Now, who wouldn't want that? Let's pray.